1: Dragon Con is over, but Dragon Con coverage continues here on NeedlessThingsSite.com. We've got all kinds of good stuff coming for you. Uh, Recaps will be on the way starting possibly tomorrow, but I don't know. But definitely next week. I have recaps from myself, from Beth V., and from Mr. R.T. Ewell, who I got to see. uh, I got to see good old Richard very briefly. At Dragon Con, and that's kind of how I feel about everybody that I saw at Dragon Con. I, I got to see them briefly because I had, I, I honestly, I didn't have a lot going on, but it felt like I had a lot going on. But I'll get into that in a future episode, uh, probably posting next week. At this point, I want to have an episode that's just talking about what happened at dragon con it might be another one with just me depending on who i can schedule and when i can schedule it i don't know we'll see how that goes but for right now for today for what's happening in the moment i have a panel from dragon con that's right it's one of the panels that i did with the american sci-fi classics track and with mr william stout that's right, uh, good ol' eh, eh, Bill, can I call him Bill? Bill came back to do another panel with us. Uh, last year we did the Masters of the Universe panel about the 1987 movie, and William Stout was on it because he was the production designer on that movie. And it was great, and you can find it at NeedlessThingsSite.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. I listened to it there, uh, but Bill was also the production designer on all of the Conan movies, including Red Sonia. But this is the anniversary of Conan the Destroyer, so we focus on that movie. And this panel is me and Gary and Tegan from RevCast and William Stout just talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger being awesome and the movie not being awesome. And what's really cool is William Stout does not pull punches. He talks very very frankly about Conan the Destroyer. Uh, obviously his work on it was fantastic. Uh you know, not that he he will necessarily acknowledge, you know, he doesn't say I was great and everybody else was crap, but he definitely says everybody else was crap uh it's it's a really good conversation we had a lot of fun doing it uh love working with gary and tegan i I definitely love working with william stout hopefully i will be having him on the podcast just to talk about his life and career thanks to gary for potentially setting that up now it's up to me uh, i think to contact bill (laughs) and uh you know, see, see what he has to say but Gary did ask him about doing podcasts and he said sure that, w- that would be great. So we'll see what happens there. In other news uh, Dragon Con was fantastic I, I just to give you guys a little tidbit a little piece uh, Whose F Is It Anyway was awesome uh, it was absolutely great we couldn't have had more fun and we will be doing it again next year I did not record any part of it uh I, I we ended up with not quite enough time so we, we didn't have the setup time that we wanted to have so it was a little tough to get just the game show set up to go let alone record the audio in the video like i wanted to do i even had my video camera down there with a tripod i was going to record the whole thing uh didn't work out, but that's okay because it was a fantastic show. Everybody had fun. Uh, There were a few cranky pusses, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. But for right now, it is time to sit down with Gary and Tegan from RevCast, to sit down with your old pal Phantom, and to sit down with Bill, Mr. William Stout, to talk all about Conan the Destroyer
2: wa wow.
0: The live button to investigate.
3: Oh, wait, we're actually four minutes late. I know,
0: sorry, we got distracted. Live
3: Dragon Con 2014. Sunday evening, I'll 20, take
0: 20, that. 14. Oh, okay.
3: 14. I'm confused. God help me. I'll, but on a Sunday, I'll. No, actually, no, I refuse to accept. Crom demands <laughs> excitement. <laughs> Dragon Con 2014. Woo! I crawl. <laughs> someone someone punched a camel. <laughs>
0: uh, 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 uh. Why did they come dressed as a camel? I have no idea. Because
3: they didn't want to get, get want to like yeah. oh,
0: Right, animal. right. Okay.
3: Yeah, someone, I actually know a great, well, oh, it's a, uh, I have to just say that I heard a great company about Arnold, but never mind.
0: Okay, um, Woo.
3: All right, my name, ladies and gentlemen, is Gary Mitchell, I, along with Mr. Joe Crow, I am co-director of the American Sci-Fi Classes track. It's our third year! Um, if you are using the smartphone app, I would like to ask everyone to remember to please rate the panel once it's over with. If you enjoy the panel... Prom Demands Five Stars. If you didn't enjoy the panel, Prom Demands Five Stars. And we're on the weaving track. Um, and I am the host and, or co-host of Rev News. I can't do my own plug. I give up. Okay. So anyway, I co-run this madhouse along with that gentleman, Mr. Jokro. I co host cast and host and produce Rev News. Uh, I have cards and this is John and I's third year, which I think I said already. Right, yep. i myself, so I'm going to pass off to...
0: Hi, hi, my name is Tegan. Um, I have a website called justtegan.com where I will blog about things, right? The occasional arbitrarily ranked list, including, of course, my favorite, the list of permissible mullets. Um, and, uh, I, we'll probably be discussing. We'll be dis- well, I, I, I have already said we should do a mullet panel next year, Who so- wants to see a mullet panel? A panel all about mullets of the 80s? Woo! Like, this is gonna be a thing. Okay. Be- yeah.
2: yeah. So,
0: uh, so, um, I also appear frequently on the Rev, uh, Revcast, Rev News. uh, Again, there were contracts signed in blood. It's a little hazy, uh, but they own me. Sort of. Sort of. It's complicated. Hilly wobbly. (laughs) Carry on.
1: Uh, I'm Phantom Troublemaker, and I was up till 7 this morning, so that was super. Uh, I run the Needless Things website where I write about toys, movies, music, pop culture, and all the stuff that we are doing here this weekend. And I host the Needless Things podcast and am co-host of the Earth Station Who podcast on the ESO Network.
2: I'm a production designer, motion pictures, and filmmaker. Uh, just as actors get typecast in film, so do designers. And I got ended up being the guy that they got if someone in your film does not have a face or if they hold a sword, or in the case of Skeletor, both.
0: <laughs> but
2: I'm not limited to that because I worked on other non-genre films, but mostly sci-fi, horror, and fantasy. Including the
3: wonderful film, we are here to discuss the 30th anniversary of Conan...
2: The Destroyer. Yeah, I worked on that one, Conan the Barbarian, and Red Oh, which uh, Red Sonja was originally going to be a Conan film, but the script was so bad that Arnold said, if, if you call him Conan, I won't be in the film. <laughs>
3: so, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't Red Sony have one of the permissible moments?
0: Yes, yes, she does. She does have a permissible
3: moment. We,
0: we, we discussed this before the panel, so come back next year to hear why.
3: All right. So let's, uh, we'll start off with, okay, is there anyone in the audience who has not seen Conan the Destroyer? Lucky for Oh! Uh, <laughs> oh. Are you here because you're curious or because you were dragged here? Dragged. Okay. Uh, when the panel's over, you can decide whether or not you're going to sacrifice him to Crom. <laughs> How about this? See if I can entice you. I'll read the print from the poster. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because back then, apparently, everybody had 12 minutes to read movie posters. <laughs> in so just, <laughs> code in. You know, it says. Somewhere deep inside the mysterious phantom city Lies the fiery temple of Jade Concealed within its ancient chambers Is the supreme instrument of life and death The mystic horn of Dagol. Totally not a penis (laughs) Only one man, Conan, has the power to recover it but in first, Conan and his band of warriors. Let's wow. battle hostile allies. <laughs>
0: cross treacherous kingdoms and challenge the sorcery of an evil
3: queen. <laughs> it is Conan's greatest challenge. By becoming more Schwarzeneggerian, as I. <laughs> For if he cannot capture the horn in time
0: the world
3: will
1: be plunged into eternal darkness. Round round. I, I, for one, would go see a lot more movies if they all had those kind of descriptors on the poster now.
2: The only phrase that's missing is the cliche, beyond your imagination. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah. Wow. Um, for myself, being a kid of the 80s, I unfortunately didn't get to see it in the theater, but I did see it the second it came out on VHS and Blockbuster yeah Blockbuster I love the first Conan I have some issues with this movie but I still enjoy it tremendously as a Conan movie um let's go down the panel and and you're uh, I, I can't wait to hear your opinion <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, gosh, Conan the Destroyer. Uh, again, I grew up watching uh, Conan on TV, and I remember being really surprised uh, when I finally saw it, like, on cable, and there was more nudity than I remembered. Um, and then you go to Conan the Destroyer, which is, like, PG, PG. and it's just a weird transition there. Um, but I, I loved it. It's it's this wonderful blend of awful and awesome. <laughs> So it's it's great. And who doesn't love Grace Jones in this movie? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. seriously, Grace Jones, feminist this icon this yeah, yeah. movie.
2: I brought Grace Jones into the film. Thank you. Oh, wow. Thank
0: you. Yay. All right.
3: Okay, oh, you can't be that hanging. Yeah, yeah. Tell the story.
2: Here's how it happened. I, I made the first Conan film. I'm a huge Robert E. Howard fan. I love the books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got an issue of Chic Magazine, which was Larry Flint's uh, sort of upscale answer to Hustler. Okay. (laughs) And in it was this incredible photo spread of Grace Jones uh, dressed in boxing trunks, Uh nothing else, fighting a white chick dressed in boxing trunks and nothing else. And the expressions on her face were so ferocious and so incredible. My immediate thought was, she has to be the Coneyville. She looks like pure animal energy. So even before the script. So even before the script. And uh, so when I got the script and saw that there was a role for an African-American woman, I thought, oh perfect. And so I told the director, I said, Richard, it was Richard Fleischer, and I said, Richard, you've, you've got to test Grace for this. I think she'd be incredible. And he saw her and cast her. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much.
3: She is one of the shining things in this movie. I yeah. love her performance. She's incredible. Um, She's so feral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Aww. Phantom, your overall... Uh,
1: I, you know, I was a kid when I first saw it, and... Okay. I, I wasn't a discerning kid, so like the pretty much all of the movies I saw until I was maybe ten or eleven or just I I didn't pick up on, you know, plot issues or poor (laughs) character development or things like that. I just looked at Crazy Lizard Men having a full on WWF style wrestling match with Arnold Schwarzenegger and I'm like, that's awesome. So I mean I I dug the movie and like so many things from the wonderful decade of the eighties uh, the nostalgia of, of loving it at the time, it, it stayed with me. And even though I can see the flaws now, I still love it.
2: Yeah, that's it. I love it. Yeah. So I was tricked into working on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how did you get on the first one, uh, briefly, and then how sure. did it come to this? Uh, the first one, uh, as I said, I'm a huge Robert Howard fan. fan of the character Conan the Barbarian in a of the books. Uh, a friend of mine, Bob Greenberg, was working as a production assistant uh, while the film was in pre-production. And so I was checking with him, you know, how, how's that film going? Uh, he said, well, we hired Ron Cobb as a production designer. And I said, are you kidding me? Ron Cobb, the political cartoonist? Because I knew him from the uh, political cartoons from the L.A. Free Press that got syndicated all over the country mm-hmm. to the underground newspapers. And I said, I've got it. I- I'm a huge fan of Cobb's, I, but I, I got to see what he's doing for Conan, that's so not what I think of when I think of, of his work. But I was doing movie posters at the time, and I was so busy doing movie posters, I, I just couldn't get a break to come over to the offices to see what was being done. I finally got a break, but instead of going to the Conan offices, I went to the ABA, which was a national book fair, It's uh, it was every publisher and every editor in the country all in one spot a great way for an illustrator to get work you bring your portfolio and you just go booth to booth to booth and rack up the jobs mm-hmm. and I walked in and the first person I bumped into was Ron Cobb and Ron said, Bill I've been I've been trying to get a hold of you and he said, I I want you to work on Conan with me and he said, you're my first choice of, of who to work with, but I have a deal with, with John he's the writer-director he has veto power over anybody I want in the art department and anyone he wants to bring in I have veto power over him so I, he said, so would you mind dropping off your portfolio so John can see your work? I said, yeah, sounds, sounds fun. It'd be interesting to see how movies are made. Because even though I've been doing movie posters, that world does not intersect with making movies at all. <laughs> Completely different worlds. There's some of the posters you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so... I went in the next day. It was a Friday, and uh, John happened to be in the office, and he looked through my portfolio. He remembered a story that he had really liked of mine that was in heavy metal. It was a Harlan Ellison story I, I illustrated called Shattered Like a Glass Goblin. Mm. Quickly flipped through the rest, the book back to me, and John's a very bigger-than-life dramatic guy. And as he walked out the door, he goes, hire him. So I walked into meet Buzz Feichens, the line producer of the film, and uh, he told me how much I'd be making on Conan. I nearly fell off the chair laughing because it was about 10% of what I was making in advertising. But I thought, well, if it's only for two weeks, it'll be fun just to see how movies are made and just have fun. And the two weeks turned into two years and turned into a film career. Uh, while we were making Conan, across the hall, Steven Spielberg's had his office Uh, John Milius was producing 1941 for Stephen. They were wrapping that up. And so Ron and I, uh, at 6 o'clock, would put down our pens, uh, run across the hall to Stephen's office, and kick around ideas for his next project, which was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. Uh, Our receptionist, when I started working there, was Kathleen Kennedy. Uh within two weeks she was John Millis' personal assistant. Within two months after that she was with she was Stephen's personal assistant and two years later she produced E T. Yeah. A spectacular rise yeah. in the business. Unbelievable. So how did you get roped into Conan the Destroyer? So Conan the Destroyer, uh, they they tricked me into thinking I would be working with Ron Cobb again. The best uh, experience I ever had in motion pictures was spending two years in a room with Ron Cobb. He's a true genius. He's like It's like sitting next to a fountain that gushes great ideas all day long, seemingly effortlessly. He was just so inspirational to me, and me being a, pe- a competitive person. It made me push myself even harder to do my best work, and it was just fantastic. He's got one of the greatest minds I've ever encountered, him and uh Bobby is Jean Giraud. Mm. So, but he, he ended up not working on the film, and I ended up designing more than half of the movie. What I didn't realize is that Dino De Laurentiis was grooming me to be a production designer. Ah. And so that, that was one of the big reasons they had me on the film. Also, I was the only one... Who knew what the film should look like because back then Sword and Sorcery was a brand new, fresh genre. And we were working on the first film, and we went to Europe. We had a, a multinational European crew. And I was the guy, they would say, well, is this like a a sword and sandals thing? i go, well, a little, but not really. Mm -hmm. Well, is this uh, like knights? Well, a little, but not really. Well, is this, uh," you know, I said, it's a combination of a lot of different things. So I was the guy who would say, let's take this prop, but add this to it to make it Hyborian. And so I helped define the vision of what that that genre of film would be. So who designed Conan's sword? I've got to know. Conan's sword, Ron Cobb. Okay. Because that sword
3: is... Legitimately iconic Yeah Oh it's incredible
2: Um, So They They tell you he's going to work with you Yeah they tell me he's going to work with me And they gave me the script And I read the script And I was just appalled It was the worst piece of shit I've ever read (laughs) And so I I did something really outrageous I didn't know it was outrageous at the time Because I was still so green to the film business I I did a complete rewrite of the screenplay And then had it printed up and uh, I walked... We had our first meeting with the director, the production designer, the the DP, and all the principal behind-the-scenes guys on the film, and I walked in, I said, what's that smell? Oh, what's that smell? Oh, it's the script. It
3: stinks.
2: And then handed out my script to everybody. <laughs> and... <laughs> After the meeting was over and I left, Richard Fleischer said,
3: Who the hell was that asshole?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and Rafaela De Laurentiis, Dino's daughter, said, Oh, it's a beer He just is a passionate about the film. He loves the corner. So don't worry. He, he will work out fine. He'll be great. <laughs> Richard wanted me fired on the spot. And, and justifiably <laughs> so. Still, ballsy move. Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, The funny thing is, you know, Mako was in both films. Yes. And I ran into Mako at the airport. I said, Mako, hey, you know, we worked together on, you know, the Conan films. He goes, yes, second film, script, ship.
3: (laughs) 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 So did anything from your draft survive? (laughs) No, no. No. (laughs) They they wouldn't let anybody even read it. (laughs) Aww. Aww. Do you still have that
0: draft?
3: Maybe I
2: I save everything. I'm a real hoarder.
3: I'm sure there are a lot of people who'd love to be able to read that (laughs) stuff.
2: I wrote a Cronin screenplay after that film. Yeah, using uh, all the stories that Robert E. Howard wrote, where he was a pirate. Oh, that's one of my favorite eras of Conan the Buccaneer. Yeah, it's one of my favorite eras of of the Conan
3: mythos. Yes.
0: that sounds amazing.
3: Conan the Pirate. It's... Yeah. A, oh, Ooh. If you've never read the Howard... Is any... Okay, and who here has read the Howard? Conan. Yeah. Uh, okay, those of you who haven't, if you love Conan, you find this stuff. Yeah. yeah. He becomes... Howard's a master. Oh, man. And,
1: and you can get uh, large, like, omnibus-style editions that collect a lot of the stories... Uh, for a pretty reasonable price, you just go on Amazon or wherever, and and you can get a lot of material in one shot. Yeah,
3: it, which is uh, which is better than it used to be because I remember when I was a kid in the '80s, having to prowl the bookshops, yeah, the used bookstores looking for old.
1: Yeah, they used to be really hard to track down. Yeah,
3: I would have like book one, book four, book six, and then yeah. you have to go and hunt. I, I never got a full collection but I got most of them I think yeah.
1: I think the three big volumes they've got now yeah have uh, everything between them
2: right? Yeah, and for me the, the introduction was those Frazetta covers oh uh, I remember the very first time I ever saw a Frazetta Conan cover. Uh, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays were when the new books and magazines came out, and I walked into the drugstore, and from across the room, that cover just shoo, was like a laser beam right into my skull, the corner of the adventure, mm. and just I had to buy it just for the cover, and then I read it, and I'm like, oh my God, where's this been all my life? This is incredible. <laughs> I love your smile.
0: I'm just like, I'm looking forward to doing some more research.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, research is her thing. It's what I do. All right, so... Um, and the Destroyer, I think, what's your thing you love most? And if you say Grace Jones, I will not be surprised.
0: Um, uh, The thing I love most, I I would definitely, Grace Jones definitely is up there. Um, Also, just, I guess the unabashed campiness of the movie, like, it, it really doesn't care that it's crap. And it knows, it knows, like, fundamentally, like, at the base, it knows it's not a good movie. And it just is like... We'll just do it. Let's just roll with it, you know. And I, I love it about that. About it, like it's just. It, it, again, I love movies that embrace the fact that they're crap because that just makes them better. Mm-hmm. You got to like, respect quality. a film that knows what it is. Yeah, it knows what it is, and and it's it's so wonderfully cheesy and and full of really bizarre symbolism like that horn is totally not some kind of phallic object right. and
3: well, did you do the horn yes <laughs> yeah it's totally totally <laughs> phallic
0: <object>. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah it's, 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 it's a funny gag with my friends are like we'll be watching terrible sci-fi movies and it's like yeah that's not a penis <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, right
2: that's, 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 how could it not be we had to <laughs> yeah, get a dabo uh, exactly. seriously. <laughs> <laughs> <naked> all through <laughs> the film
0: yeah <laughs> searching
1: oh. for the magic horn
0: <laughs>
2: and there's a, there's a big jewel in the film. I, I mean, I spent a week designing jewels for that. None of, Richard Fleischer didn't like any of them. Finally, he brings one in. He says, "We'll use this." And what it was was it was it was Neil Diamond's diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Richard directed uh, the jazz singer.
3: Oh. And
2: as, and as a gift, Neil Diamond gave him a glass diamond. Uh, uh, and that was... And that was wow. So, Phantom? Uh,
1: I, I, I'm a little torn because Grace Jones is absolutely fantastic. I mean, that, that her performance in that movie is one of the most memorable from the 80s uh, to me. You know, as a kid, seeing her be that powerful, have that strong and well-defined of a character with as little dialogue as she really had... Uh, she she told the story through action so well, but I've got to go with the wrestling match.
0: I'm shocked. I mean, and that's that's
1: just I mean, it's insane. They get into the big mirror room and they're literally doing like power slams and stuff on each other. I mean, it's
0: it's like
3: choreographed by Hulk Hogan. It's, it's wonderful.
0: Like the era before
3: metal folding chair. Yes, I would say I love the design of the cat little. And the mirror room. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's just well, one and the, of the most the, stunning set pieces
1: I've ever seen. The, the, the layered uh, curtains, the way that those came
2: up, was that you? That was me and uh, working with uh, Pier Luigi Basile.
1: That is just a fantastic look, the way that they, you know, one layer at a time, rise up and reveal. Uh, that's, that's a lovely,
3: How long lovely did it take set. to
2: construct all that? Well, it was funny. The, the way the film came about was uh, Dino de Laurentiis was producing David Lynch's Doom. Right. And they were shooting it down at Churubusco Studios in Mexico City, and they were using every single soundstage there because it was Doom's, a gigantic production. The divorce rate on that film was 90%.
0: <laughs>
2: People hadn't seen their families in six years. Wow. It was unbelievable. And finally,. Uh, a couple of the stages freed up and Dino did not want to relinquish them. So he said, we make making a Conan film. <laughs> so suddenly a script was whipped up and uh, we went down there, shot a Conan film. When we left, they were still making Dune. Uh, <laughs> and,
3: and I think Conan is probably better than Dune. I love Dune. I'm saying, I love Dune. I,
0: I almost came down to the Dune panel. Um, it was a ball.
2: The Dune panel was a ball, but I like Conan more. I think one of the biggest tragedies in cinema history is that The Long Dune never got released. Yeah. They had a four and a half hour cut while I was down there that the people who saw it said it was the greatest science fiction film ever made. And so I was so excited. When I saw it, it, Dino made David cut it down to two hours. Yeah. And so all that exposition you see in the beginning, that was all stuff that was shot. I was just down the hallway from the sound editor, and I'd hear something that sounded exciting. I'd go running in and and look at what he was cutting, and I'd see an incredible scene with Sting or an incredible scene with Linda Hunt, And everything I saw was just amazing. And I thought, oh, I can't wait to see this. None of that stuff was in the film. Uh, there is one, like four, not a four and a half,
3: but a four-hour version. That's my personal favorite cut of that film, which has a lot of paintings at the front
2: explaining the history of the universe. But that's that was an earlier panel. The paintings <laughs> were done by, well, probably done by Tony Masters. He was the production designer of that film, and he was also the production designer for 2001: A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. All right, but yeah, and for me, Grace Jones. That's
3: my favorite thing in the movie. <laughs> Is it true, I've heard this story over and over again, and I've shared it over and over again, when she whacks that one guy in the crotch, that was unscripted?
2: Oh, that I don't know.
3: Okay. I was that's the story that. I always hear is that she was just in the moment yeah. and whacked the guy and he wasn't wearing any, uh, <laughs> and that his reaction, that's why his reaction is it's very, so real. yeah. <laughs> and the director's like, hey, we're not cutting that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so moving on from the, the
2: genital injury uh, to <laughs> um, the camel injury <laughs> did you,
3: did you see Arnold
2: my favorite did you see Arnold when he was on the Tonight Show mm-hmm. promoting the film no and they, and they were talking about uh, hitting the camel and stuff yeah. and Arnold said you know the other thing people don't know about camels is you can get syphilis from a camel <laughs> <laughs> and Johnny Carson thought about it. he said well the wife will buy it. <laughs> oh,
3: I missed first.
0: <laughs> um,
3: so, what was the? Um, you, did you have any input on the script at all, or just? No. Nope. Okay. So, uh, what was the? I wish I, was, was, yeah. Yeah. I think we all do. Uh, <laughs> Um, So you designed the horn, uh, the castle, the mirror room.
2: All the creatures. All the creatures. Uh, I designed the whole animation sequence where the sorcerer turns into that pterodactyl-like creature. That
0: was was really cool. I remember being spooked by that when
2: I was a kid. Yeah, the big set with the the iron mouth that opens up and Mm. people walk in. Uh, The interior of that set. uh, Probably easier to think of what I didn't design. (laughs) (laughs) What was your favorite thing that you did on it? favorite thing. Um, one of the things that made me happiest was, I in the script, there was a line, basically, Conan and his merry band, right through the desert. I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if they were in silhouette in the distance, riding across the horizon, and in the foreground was the rotting carcass of a mammoth. Mm. That would tell the audience right away, you are not in any you known world this is Hyboria this is a, a world where some prehistoric creatures still exist mm-hmm. and so I did a painting of that and Richard Fleischer came in looked at it and he got really excited he ran out and he brought in Jack Cardiff now Jack Cardiff is one of my heroes he was one of the greatest directors of photography who ever lived he got the Oscar for shooting Black Narcissus mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Good. amazing guy and he looked at that painting and he turned to me and he said I'm going to make it look exactly like that
1: mm-hmm.
2: Uh, So they actually sculpted this this full-size mammoth. And, and took it out to the middle of the desert and I had vultures picking at it and stuff they got about a dozen vultures too they clipped their wings so they couldn't fly and then uh, they no animals were harmed right? so the, the mammoth so is can't. in the desert and and they put all the vultures in place and stuff and they stand back to get the shot and what they didn't realize is in addition to being good flyers vultures are really good runners they jumped off the carcass and took off across the Sonoran Desert so for the next four hours the Crew was chasing after vultures and wrangling the vultures and trying to get them back and they finally got them back and they, they took leather straps and tied their feet to the carcass.
0: No. <laughs>
2: they could finally get the shot. But they got the shot. But they got the shot.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. you have a question? Oh, uh, no, no, I'm good. You're good?
0: I'm great.
1: I've got a question, actually. Uh, Going back to the wrestling match. <laughs> that, that creature design... Uh, with the way that it's partially scaled and reptilian, but partially human, what was what was the concept on that? Because it's super creepy, but it's it's uh, was there
2: supposed to be a transformation aspect? Or I was inspired by two different Frank Rosetta paintings. Uh, one was the Conan cover where Conan is on the back of that gorilla with the red cloak and he's and he's fighting the gorilla. So I wanted yeah, to love apish aspect to it. Uh, but then uh, Frank also did another painting. It was a creepy cover, uh, it's either a creepy cover or an eerie cover with a, a a beast with with horns and stuff. And I just combined the two to come up with this creature. It's super horrifying. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely a nightmare feel
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody in the crowd have a question? Anybody? Yeah, here we go. Um, why did the creature have like a, a pepperoni-esque tongue? pull <laughs> pulls up the hood and his tongue comes out. And I'm like, why did that have to happen? Oh, I don't even remember that.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> You'll never unsee it. Oh, no. Yeah. I'll tell you the, the thing we had the most that I had the most trouble with was designing that big creature at the end.
0: Uh-huh.
2: I came up what, with... The, what he turns into when the yeah, war gets out. Yeah. I designed the statue, and then and then I did a whole series of designs of what the statue turns into, and Richard wasn't satisfied with any of them. And so he got uh, Carl Rambaldi to take the drawing that I'd done that he liked the best and, and transform that and make it into the creature. So Carl did a sculpture... And and I looked at it, and I go, Carla, you know who's going to be in that suit? He goes, yeah, 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 we're going to yeah, put uh, Wilt in the suit. I said, well, Wilt's not going to fit in that. You you made the sculpture too small. And Carla just blew up. He got angry at me. You have no idea. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, sure enough, as soon as they made that suit, wouldn't fit. Mm-hmm. Wilt's a gigantic guy. And so they had to cut the suit. Cut the sleeves, cut the legs, and, and, and open up the back, and, and that's why that whole scene is shot with flashes of lightning in the darkness so you couldn't see how crappy the suit was. <laughs> I will say its mouth always freaked me the hell out. Yeah. 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 Is
1: it absurdly ironic to anybody else that they charged Wilt Chamberlain with protecting the virtue of that girl? <laughs>
0: No,
3: no, she's still she's still here.
0: Bombata. Oh man, her I just I, when I was when I was talking about going on this panel, that was just kept ringing in my mind we screaming Bombata and I'm like, can you be any more useless?
3: <laughs> uh someone else had their hand up? Yes. Uh one question I want to ask is regarding your real right, what is the one thing? From your rewrite, that you just really wish this would have really changed the whole movie. This would have, you really wish would have been able to impact it. Well, it for biggest, anyone who couldn't hear him, he's asking if there one thing in, from the script that he wrote that we wish it
2: stayed. Okay, first of all, I don't remember any of the script that I wrote. I do, I do remember though the things that bothered me about the the script, which was one it had nothing to do with Robbie Howard's world. Uh, I and. It had that really bad writing where they would get into trouble, there's no way to solve it, and the magician would go, problem solved. Well, that's deus ex machina. That's the cheapest, stupidest way to solve a problem. It requires no intelligence whatsoever, and it's not integral to the plot. And they kept doing that over and over again, and it drove me crazy that they would use that hackneyed ploy to get themselves out of a situation where... That really needed clever writing to get you out a, a, a thought. So that's what bothered me the most. So I took all of that stuff out and, and tried to make it a, a logical progression.
1: Yeah, Mako's powers seemed very different in Destroyer <laughs> than what they were in Barbarian. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah he was now, much more shamanesque in the first one. Yeah. yeah. Now Tracy Walter's role—I love Tracy. Tracy was when he walked in. I Oh my God, he looks like he's from the era. Just. Just sort of bedraggled and creepy and, and stuff he was a replacement he was not the original casting guy uh, it was originally uh, Lenny and Squiggy not Michael but the other guy oh um,
3: David, David,
2: Landers. David Landers yeah it was David Landers was originally cast in that role <laughs> wow
3: uh anyone else I'm Yeah. Good. Oh you, you, you then. To riff on okay. the Tracy
2: Walters thing. Is he a normal, everyday kind of Joe guy? He's a he's a real sweet guy. Just real down to earth, kinda of quiet. I and mean, because his roles, he's always out he's, there. Oh man, he plays some of the creepiest characters you've ever seen. <laughs> he's great. He's just a, amazing. I love that guy.
0: Even though we all love it, even though it's goofy and cheesy
3: and low budget. How come it took such a drastic fall from the first cone to the second drastic fall quality wise you mean I think I mean you know maybe
2: some people would argue the first one wasn't but I liked it I mean to me it seemed like a big contrast huge contrast I thought the first one was terrific yeah. uh, a lot of people at the time complained there wasn't enough Robert E. Howard in it almost every single scene in that film comes from a Howard story yeah so I think that argument doesn't hold water and they said oh there's not enough fantasy there's fantasy all through that thing yeah uh, and John is John Millis is one of the sc- cinema's greatest screenwriters he wrote Wind in the Line he wrote Apocalypse Now he wrote uh, Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean amazing writer and he, it was one of the big treats for me is he was writing the screenplay as we were designing it mm-hmm. and he'd come in once a week with new pages and then he'd pace anxiously while we read them just to see if we were acting properly and some of that stuff just floored me the scene where Valeria dies it had me in tears it was incredible. It's one of the most romantic things I've ever read in my life. That's a, that's a good question,
0: though. Um, what it was good, man. I liked it. What happened? Why did
2: it get so bad? I mean, how did they? It was <laughs> a studio the you know decided he, uh, they would have made so much more money if it hadn't been an R film. So we wanted a PG comedy. Mm. Well, that's not a PG subject matter. Yeah, right. I, I remember a, uh, a lecturer on Robert E. Howard described Howard's writing as a pornography of violence, <laughs> and I think that's a pretty accurate description. Yeah. Those are written as horror stories. They were published in Weird Tales magazine. Yeah, and and if you take all the really horrific elements out of it, you no longer have what I consider a Conan story. Conan.
1: Yeah, yeah, Conan's not a superhero. he's no. he is a barbarian. He's yeah. a tough guy he's who rude. does rotten stuff. But he's charming, so you like him. But he's he's not Superman.
3: Well, and he also tends to sometimes fall into that. You know, I may not be that good, but that guy, right? <laughs> yeah, right. He tends to go up a lot against a lot of those that yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but um... you get to read about. It. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: yes. Um, other authors have written Conan stuff. Yeah, Lynn Carter, I Carter I read, like Robert Jordan's reading of Conan, or, or writing of Conan. How do you guys feel about that? I, I don't. I didn't start with Robert. I'm sorry, with Robert e. Howard, so I don't know.
3: Uh, me personally, I don't think anyone has ever recaptured it. Some people have gotten close. The Lynn Carter stuff. Um, it was Carter and Elspeth. Right. Elspeth Got close, and then they just started finishing ideas he jotted down on napkins. Yeah. Um, So, but no one, no one's Howard, but Howard. Yeah, I like pure Howard. I I think the closest I've read, uh,
1: Joe Lansdale, did a Conan miniseries for uh, Dark Horse Comics, Hmm. and it's fantastic.
3: Yeah, Yeah. that was good. Hmm. And um, I asked those to say if you want something in that similar vein, the closest I've ever seen uh, modern is uh, Joe Abercrombie stuff. It was really good. That's the movies I'd like to see in production design. That the the Blade itself series. I don't know if you've read those, but they're really good.
2: <laughs> so
3: yes. Being the only person in this room with uh, the unique perspective that you have, working on both of those films, have you seen? And if you have, what are your thoughts on the remake that they a couple years? For
2: those who couldn't hear, what did he sure. think of the new one with uh, that Jason Momo was in? I, I thought the production design was fantastic, I thought the costume design was fantastic, it was beautiful. When I saw it, I was like, that's what we wish we could have done, especially with the second film. But, uh, boy, there's no story, yeah. I, I just, there's nothing to involve me emotionally or, or get me interested in, in the characters. The LaSure looked nice though, the shot beautifully.
0: Was, did you see it? I did. I saw it in theaters. Um it, it was it was worth the six fifty that I paid for it. Yeah. Um, it was very pretty. Um, it's it's kind of fun to go back and kind of giggle over. We were talking about it last night um, about the the battlefield caesarean section. Um, that was that was that was something that kind of sticks with you, such as like the uh, the fetus eye view of the sword coming in. That that stays with you. Um, but yeah, it was it was a kind of criminal waste of, of some some good talent they had there, especially again the production design and Jason Momoa as a criminal underuse of Jason Momoa's capabilities. It very nice to look at. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, if that's what
2: got him yeah. casting Game of Thrones. Maybe. Uh,
0: no, I didn't.
2: Actually, wasn't he on Game of Thrones Yeah,
0: first? he was on Game of Thrones first. I
2: think it was oh. Game that got a Conan.
3: Oh.
0: Yeah, Game that got a Conan, yeah.
3: yeah. And, and I think what the main thing we keep hearing, or at least the main thing I keep hearing is it comes back to story and direction. Yep. Uh, and that's why the first one over the second one, even though we like the second one, we, we have to keep saying that, but it's not... The first one's the superior film.
1: Well and Barbarian was if I'm correct, that was John Mulis's vision. I mean that was that was all him and I think when you've got one creative force guiding, you've got a, a, a better product. Whereas it sounds like Destroyer was was kind of more broken down into several different people.
2: I got the feeling with Richard Fleischer that He was making films like Sausages, and this was just another sausage, and then move on to the next one. Mm. There was no, I couldn't find any emotional attachment to the project whatsoever. It was just a job to be done and then move on. And there's a difference between paycheck and... Yeah, John was (laughs) tremendously passionate about
3: the first film. Yeah, that's why we were talking earlier, in the other panel the other day, Ed Wood, not great movies, but the passion, the passion will carry them. Mm it'll only carry you so far yeah. <laughs> uh, you had a question yeah uh, the script always seems to be the most important why is it that there's so many bad scripts even like with the latest Conan that just fall so short what, what is it that you know there's a lot of great writers out there you know from television that there are I mean there's, there's some phenomenal writers we get these horrible films with wonderful budgets and costume and
2: creative people but they just don't make it what, is, what do you think causes that
3: uh, for anybody who couldn't hear, she's asking what causes bad scripts. <laughs> we know they are good writers. Well, yeah. wait. What what and causes we, bad scripts to get made?
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as an insider, uh, as a, as an insider. Well, one of the things is there aren't a lot of people who can tell what are good and bad scripts. Who are who are people who are in positions of power. Uh, I was shocked. I was hired. Uh, I worked for two, two and a half, three years as a full-time consultant for Walt Disney Imagineering uh, designing theme parks for all their different properties and one day they called me and they said Bill, would you mind looking at portfolios? Uh, These are people that want to work here I said, yeah, sure, I don't mind Uh, and I sat down and started looking through work and I said, by the way why are you asking me to do this? they said, well, we can't tell who's good (laughs) And I'm going, the Walt Disney Company can't tell a good artist from a bad artist? This is pathetic. Well, screenplays are the same way. And and screenplays, it's even more difficult. Uh, I tell people, being an artist is relatively easy compared to being a writer. I can do a drawing and show it to 12 people in a room. They all, all agree, yeah, the arm's too long. But if I write a story and have 12 people read it, each person has a completely different reaction to the story and how it should be better. And uh, too many cooks can spoil the soup. Because okay. um, it's all abstract. It's just, it's, uh, these, these words, these, are, these letters are little symbols and stuff that everybody interprets in
3: a different way. Right. And then there's the matter, of right. it may be great on the page, but then getting
2: it on the screen... Yeah, you know, a screenplay is one of the most difficult things in the world to write. It's, uh, it's also really difficult to read. It, it fights your eye. It is not like reading prose. It's constantly fighting your eye. I find it really difficult to get through screenplays except for hers. They're, they're fantastic. But uh, And, and it's, it's a rare thing to, for me to be given a screenplay that, that is an easy read medium yeah. itself just fights you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of writers, they're writers, they don't think visually. Mm-hmm. And and it's a visual medium. Uh the, one of the mantras in screenwriting is show, don't tell. Yeah. Anyone else have a question? way in the back. All uh, right, you then you.
3: Okay.
1: Uh, what was your impression when you met with John Milius and Arnold What's, what was your impression of them as kind of people working with them? because we've, we've all heard stories about both people,
2: but if you've actually met him in person, we'd like to hear what Sure. Have you seen the documentary on John Milius? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this that, yeah. captures a lot of what John is. He's, he's a little harsher than that. Well, actually, he's a lot harsher than, than that in reality. John is the guy who likes to push people's buttons and make them furious, make them angry. He just finds that fun and then he he does it in, in ways that i find deeply deeply offensive and uh i i had a real problem with that cuz i really like john especially as a creator i his writing just blew me away but when he would pull stuff like that you know i i had a tendency to call him on it because it just pissed me off arnold <laughs> he, he has an Austrian sense of humor which means he's really into physical, practical jokes where people might get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Or> camels. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things he did, they were on an airplane, they were going to uh, a location in Mexico, in Durango, to shoot. And as the stewardess walked by, Arnold grabbed her ass and then pulled his hand back and acted like he hadn't done anything. She whipped around and saw one of Arnold's buddies laughing. And so she thought, well, that's the guy. As soon as the plane landed, he was arrested and thrown into a Mexican prison. Arnold didn't try to get him out. Wow. Another time, uh, it was in the same location, and uh, it was a Sunday. It was their day off, and all the bodybuilders are lounging around the pool, And Arnold finds out that a TV crew is going to come over and interview interview them for national news on Mexican television. So Arnold gets this idea, and he starts going to each guy. Man, I can't believe they're going to make us work on our day off. That is so, that's so shitty. That's so bad. He he starts stirring up all the guys, and he sits back. He watch as their anger and resentment builds and builds and builds. Now it's no longer associated with him. And the crew shows up and the guys are in a real rowdy mood and they they start really hassling the news reporter the news reporter is this very attractive woman and and one of the guys turns around and moons her (laughs) on camera live, national television in Mexico another guy thinks well I can top that and he gives her a full frontal shot on national television, she's the daughter of the governor of that state of Mexico. <laughs> the, our entire production was thrown out of Mexico <laughs> until Rafaela de Laurentiis, Dino's daughter, had to make a public apology on Mexican television, and no one ever traced that back to Arnold.
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow! But the
2: first, the first day I met Arnold, it was uh, I've been working on the film for about a month or two. And Arnold walked in, and he, he, he was just wearing red trunks. And my first thought was, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life. He looked like an Adonis. He was just like, wow. And he was there to show John Milius the sword moves that he'd been practicing. And John said, okay, everybody, let's, let's go to the park. We're going to watch Arnold run through his maneuvers and stuff. And so he did. He he did all the sword moves he'd been practicing and stuff. And Arnold's a very perceptive guy. He's really good at reading people. And he saw something in John's eye. And he said, "John, what is it? What's the, what's the problem?" And John, oh, no, nothing, 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 no, no, no. I can see. It. I can sense something. It's, you don't like something. What is it? And John said, well, you "No, know, no, it's not really. Anything. It's the body, right? It's the body. I have a bodybuilder body." And you would like, say, more of an athlete body, right? And John goes, well, yeah, that'd be great, but, you know. So Arnold said, so if I trim this here, and I trim this here, and I trim this leg here, and I trim this leg here. And I goes, you can do that? Uh-huh. Arnold came back two weeks later, had completely re-sculpted his entire body through diet and exercise. Jeez, wow. And I thought, oh, my God, if this guy has a goal, there is nothing that can stop him from achieving it. That's why I knew when he ran for governor of California he was going to win. Nothing can stop that guy. <laughs> Not even a bad feeling.
3: <laughs> we're all kind of in awe on that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Also, bad props to the <laughs> Fulcidube shirt. I'm sorry. Mad props for your shirt. Oh,
2: thanks. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ron Cobb designed that symbol. Uh,
3: anybody else? Yes, that's right, you were next. I just had a question about... Arnold, I read somewhere where at one point that he was so bulky
2: and working with a sword, he couldn't even quite... Was that right was wind? Right, so oh, I, I never saw that. He, he he really was intent on making this a, a great film. And uh, when I saw him do that first sword practice, he was flawless. So even when he was still really... Bul- even when he had that big bodybuilder body, yeah, he could still move really well. Yeah. It was funny, he... he uh, you know he became a champion bodybuilder uh, and then came to the United States he was almost penniless when he got here and he enrolled in UCLA's business college and he had made his first millions before he had ever shot any footage of film in real estate yeah, and doing construction right yeah, well, like uh, hitting a construction team and, and buying real estate and developing it and uh, there's favorite thing used to tell me beer i love this country. it's so easy to make money here
3: (laughs) um let's talk impact um the first film conan lots of imitators i mean i can't even count how many sword knockoffs with big bodybuilders came out afterwards conan the destroyer seemed to have the opposite considering no one wanted to imitate that film it it killed a genre Um, you know because as, as much as I said we all enjoy watching it even despite I mean Despite
0: and because of its its terribleness, mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> but even as bad as it is, I mean things like. Uh, and if there's anyone who's a fan of this film, I feel free to throw something at me. That's but so cool. like the Barbarian Brothers films,
2: you your Conan the Destroyer is still heads and shoulders above those. <laughs> okay, we will, you Just convince me not to watch those. Books.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyone
3: else here seen these? It's. Two twin brother bodybuilders who did some really cheesy sword and sorcery films, and they're just horrible. Yeah. And, and I really, I would rather watch Conan the Destroyer twice than any one of those ones. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, the first, and like I said, if you're a fan, I'm sorry. but first script I ever sold was a, a sword and sorcery film. Yeah. Uh, it was called King of Dark Planet, and uh, it starred David Carradine. Oh. It was uh, purchased by Roger Corman. And uh, I I went in to see Roger, and he he was excited to show me a poster for the film. And the film, you retitled it, The Warrior and the Sorceress. And I said, but Roger, there's no sorceress in the movie. And he said, Bill, you have to understand. By titling it, The Warrior and the Sorceress means we can put a sexy sorceress in the movie poster. <laughs> <laughs> and with that title or with that sexy sorceress, we will get butts in the seats. Once we've got those butts in the seats and we have their money, who cares if there's a sorceress? <laughs>
0: <Okay.
2: I'm Norman. laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So what do you think of a
3: of the others and knockoffs. Of oh, the others? What, what keeps destroy Destroyer above the lessers? <laughs>
0: um, That's
3: such a low bar. I know it's a low bar. Why is not we enjoyed watching that movie again over and over versus. Arnold. Arnold. Arnold, Arnold. Arnold and Stones. And it's a beautiful movie. I mean, yeah. it does, you know, regardless of.
1: Olivia's uh, hot. Right.
2: Yeah. Oh, yes. And oh, yes. the queen. Uh,
1: oh, God. Uh, Sir yeah. Douglas, great actor. Yes. Incredible. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. Olivia D'Abo and, and her magic.
2: Shifting dress. You <laughs> did <laughs> very cold in very cold rooms. She's the daughter of Michael Dabo, who was the second lead singer for Manfred Man. He sang the lead for uh, Mighty Quinn. Okay, that's oh. her dad. Oh. So what is it? About? And she's the sister of Mariam Dabo, who was in the Bond film. Oh. Okay. But. So what brings you back to Conan?
0: Okay, it's, it's again it's just kind of the earnest earnestness in its in its in its you know, again it's in its low quality. Just it just again, it's it's the embracing of the cheese and and just rolling rolling with that punch of the camel and just <laughs> making and that is an iconic moment. I mean you yes. think of Conan, you really can't separate Conan from punching a camel. Now,
3: and I have to ask, <laughs> I've always heard that was completely unscripted or was that
2: scripted? <laughs> I, I was on set when they shot that. Oh, uh, but it's it's
0: an iconic Conan moment
2: now. It sounds like something millions would. But we already know they right. timed the legs with the vultures. Yeah. So <laughs>
3: all right, make the candles, squeeze.
2: Grab his camel. Well, and
3: that, <laughs> that, grab his home. <laughs> that scene
1: that scene is so iconic and and is very much Conan uh, that I I think. If, if you were just going to see one clip from from either movie, that's probably going to be the one that pops up. <laughs>
3: yeah. um, and so let me just tie this into to another question that Okay, well, no, I'll toss it to you.
2: I was going to just say another scene might have come to mind to me when he. Uh,
3: bites the blue shirt to death. Yes, in the first, uh, in the first one. one yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a great thing. Yeah, when yeah, he's crucified true. to that tree. Place him upon the tree of woe. Very, very not PG. <laughs> no, but it, it was contempl- what is it, contemplate, contemplate uh, eternity. Contemplate, yeah, contemplate eternity upon the tree of woe. <laughs> yeah, great line. But yes, in the blue shirt. Uh, I wonder. Um, I don't know. For for me, Jerry Lopez uh, as Subtai. In the first one, is one of my favorite characters. Do you know why he wasn't brought back for the second one? Can't act.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey.
2: John, you know, John Millis is a huge surfer, made Big Wednesday. Jerry Lopez is in Big Wednesday. John had this theory that if you're brilliant in one thing, then you can be brilliant in everything else. Uh. So he thought, well, Jerry is the best surfer in the world, so he's going to be a phenomenal actor. And Jerry really fought hard not to be in the film. He did not want to do it. And uh, and when he did his dialogue, you know, he sounded like a California surfer, which was completely inappropriate for a Kona film. That's why Mako dubbed his voice in the film. Oh, uh, but Jerry did not want to make that movie, and he's he did not want to make any more movies after that because he he was just embarrassed. Okay, so I believe
3: we have time for one more question. And if anyone else doesn't have one, I do. Okay, there you go.
2: what do you guys think of like the fireplace scene? The which one? The fire, the main fireplace
1: scene
3: where the Conan has me and they're all kind of sitting around and talking. Oh, I love that. Oh. Kind of got a chance to interact with each other, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, anything that helps build character. Yeah.
1: I, I thought you were talking about the scene with the fantastic superimposing where Olivia De Abbo walks into the flames. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Different fireplace scene.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and the, when I designed
2: that, that said, I had her walking in naked that would have been much better Yeah,
3: (laughs) (laughs) there are very few scenes in that movie that would not be improved by more naked double (laughs) or anybody really yeah any movie you know Star Wars with naked double (laughs) Uh, I'm in (laughs) tell me I'm wrong (laughs) because I'm not
2: that fire scene by the way uh, that was a test scene that we shot uh, with, with Arnold and Jerry uh, just, uh, I, I think the theory was uh, to see whether or not Jerry could, could act and could handle the dialogue and stuff. In reality, it was to see what Arnold was like. Yeah. And uh, John Mills was very depressed after we shot that because of Arnold's thick accent. That is my father Seward. <laughs> oh yeah. oh no, he says it? and get him to say Sword. And, but, but you know, Arnold worked on it and worked on it. Until yeah. he was fine. Now, do you know? Did he? Was he like? A, was it a fake drug? Did he actually drink for that part, or? I mean, you never know, man. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I don't think yeah. that actually drank. It's probably yeah. water. Yeah. All
3: right. Um, but f- any final thoughts on the movie besides the fact like I said, right? Oh, I'm sorry? Oh, I'm
1: sorry. Guess, even as a kid, I always wondered how did Wilt Chamberlain get in the movie? Any idea? He
3: seems so out of place. I don't
1: know. He was a huge star at the time. I mean, yeah, he yeah. was he was on top of the NBA. He was, yeah. he was you know, like a, a Shaquille O'Neal or, or something along those lines. I mean, he was huge.
3: Kareem yeah. was an airplane and he was was,
2: and he was one of the best scenes tell your dad to drag (laughs) (laughs) what was unusual in that yeah he was a basketball player but he was not built like a basketball player he was not he was tall but he was not slender he was perfectly perfect physique perfect form he was just gigantic and he dwarfed Arnold yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons is, they wanted him in the film, is they go, okay, if Conan can beat the hell out of anybody, oh, what's he going to do with this gigantic, muscle guy?
3: Yeah,
2: he's a incredible threat to Conan. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so any final thoughts?
3: And like I said, I, I still go back and watch it, even though at times I'm like, but I, I still enjoy one. Yeah, I, I, I... And I watch it for, you know, the castle, the mirror scene, the lizard people.
0: The, I, yeah, Grace, Grace Jones. Jones. <laughs> um, I always kind of like viewing it viewing it as, the, as a part of a, my, my favorite, like, sword and sorcery trilogy of, you know, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, and then Red Sonja, because you guys gotta have that that 80s... You know, like like little hill thing. Yeah. Peace Master but yeah I <laughs> yeah. Peace yeah. Master's yeah. great cool. I love Peace Master as a kid I ate that yeah. all, all, all those food uh, but yeah, no, I, I just always <laughs> get that and my mom it's Mark. So yeah. my
3: mom had the <laughs> biggest set of hot
0: tea. yeah <laughs> Mark, Mark Singer
3: Schinger. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah you look like one of ABBA yeah. <laughs> uh, what draws you back to the Destroyer? It, well,
1: anytime I watch, it's like Tegan just said. Anytime I watch Conan the Barbarian, which which I do at least yearly, I've got to watch the other two. I've, I've got to watch Destroyer and Red Sonja. I mean, it's just it's it's ingrained in my brain that they they go together. It, it, and and uh, it's just fun Barbarian stuff, and you, you love Arnold. And you love seeing Arnold whack things with a sword. That's awesome.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't seek that film out, but every once in a while if I'm channel surfing and I happen to just hit it coincidentally, mm-hmm. I'll watch it. And, and, and the reason why is it brings back the memories of making the picture, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of good memories of making that film. I loved living in Mexico City. It was just a spectacular time. The Mexican craftsmen were superb. They were just outstanding people to work with, and, and all of them had huge hearts. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, uh, yeah, just the associations of each scene I associate with a different person who was a friend of mine on the film. Cool. And the fact that you can have warm memories where it has got to
3: help. Yeah, despite Aww. the crappy script, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it stinks! <laughs> That's my takeaway.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Gary Mitchell. This is. Phantom Troublemaker,
2: William Stout. <laughs> Thank you all for
3: being here. Thank you, Mr. Stout. I'm very honored to have you here. Thank, yes, Thank you. Guys. Thank you. Uh, thanks can for
2: you, having uh, me at DragonCon. Uh, tell everybody, like, your, your website, your... Uh... Do you have any place oh, people the can find my buy website? Your website? Is and www. you're in the dealers, www.williamstout.com I'm in the dealer's room. Uh, tables uh, 13A and 14A. And that's in, the, you know, American Smart. Yep. If you
3: enjoyed the panel, please remember to rate it. If you would like to see Mr. Stout again or talk more... Conan, yeah, Let us know.
1: I bet you guys are thinking to yourselves, man, Phantom's intro sure did sound shitty. What, was he in a barrel or something recording that? No, I just forgot to make sure that my, uh editor was picking up the signal from my headset instead of from my laptop so now you guys know how shitty the mic on my laptop is uh i I just it's three o'clock in the afternoon i'm i'm not usually recording at this time and i I forgot to look at that and i didn't want to re-record that five minute intro because it was pretty good it was only five minutes and uh you know aside from the sound quality i'm happy with it so there's a shitty intro do uh, and, and honestly it's a live panel so what are you gonna do uh but that's it for right now i've got more dragon con stuff coming up uh next week all the recaps will begin unless i get one early from one of my needless things correspondents uh, but definitely check back we'll have something going up tomorrow i'm not sure what it is yet and then monday we'll begin our recap coverage of dragon con all week long so check back for that and remember you can find the Needless Things Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher as well as needlessthingssite.com uh, that's all I've got for today it was a big Dragon Con there's lots to talk about I'm pretty sure I'm going to do a full recap episode it might be just me I might try and have some other people on we'll see how it goes but regardless check back in and uh, we'll have some new stuff for you love you guys later